following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. All right, well, today is the second week of not only a new teaching series, but of a new ministry year for Artisan Church, in which we are aiming to be shaped by the words of Scripture. Now, the theme... uh, of being shaped by the words will be a common thread in everything that we do together for the next 12 months or so. Last year we had a a common thread called Beyond Our Walls, and uh, that went really well. And this year we're thinking about being shaped by the words of the Bible. Now you'll notice in the word that I say, words, and on the screen, that I've been careful to say shaped by the words, plural, rather than shaped by the word. And the reason for that is this. Although the phrase God's word or the word of God is very commonly used to describe scripture and I have no quibble with with that usage, I want to make a distinction between the words of the Bible and the word, capital T, capital W, of God, which is the man Jesus Christ. It's important to me that remember um, that God's ultimate revelation of himself comes in, came in the incarnation of Jesus. The gospel writer John uh, uses the the term, the word of God, the word, to describe Jesus. And uh, he doesn't say, as we quoted N.T. Wright last week, he doesn't say that that in the beginning the word was with God, the word was God, and then the word got written down. He says, and the word became flesh, took on a body for itself, and lived among us. Whereas our friend Scott McKnight says, and we'll get to this in a bit, God is a person, the Bible is paper. <laughs> That's why I say shaped by the words rather than shaped by the word. It's, a, it's a putting a pretty fine point on it, I confess, but something I want to make sure that we do. Now this being said, God is a person and the Bible is paper, ultimately, of course, both both are true. You know, the, the Word of God can be used for both, and that's fine. As one of my favorite internet pastors, did you know that pastors have to have internet pastors because they can't have pastors in the, in the congregation? <laughs> one of my favorite internet pastors, Brian Zahn, says, um, what the Bible does infallibly is point us to Jesus, right? So the words of God point us to the, the Word of God, and that's, that's really a big part of our aim. So... That's the semantical distinction that I will probably make from time to time throughout the year, just so we are all on the same page with it. Anyway, in this coming year, we want to be shaped by the words, which will point us to the word. And to help us get started on that endeavor, we are using Scott McKnight's wonderful book, The Blue Parakeet, as our artisan summer read. Um, many of you have a copy of this already. I have, some, I have four more here today. The, our cost is $13. If you'd like to pick one up, you can give us the money for it. Or if you can't afford it, just take one because some people have paid a little extra to make that possible. And um, it's not too late to start reading this. We're in part two of a four-week series on this. But even if you didn't crack the book open until September, it, it's worth having this book and reading it because it's going to apply all year long. All right. So we kicked off uh, this series, this discussion of this book last week with part one, and part one of the book describes the Bible as a story. makes the very important point that if we are going to be shaped by the words of Scripture, 
we first have to understand what it is. And what the Bible is, is a story. So everything in the Bible, every part of the Bible, is in the Bible to tell us a part of the big story. And the story, at least as McKnight outlines it, comes in five pieces. Creation, fall, covenant community, redemption in Christ, and then ultimately the consummation of all things. Other writers and scholars might divide it up slightly differently, but the basic point is the same, that there is a narrative, a big story that's being told in Scripture. And what's interesting and sometimes challenging about the Bible is that this same story is told by many different authors in many different centuries who come from many different cultural locations. And so it tells one story with many voices. Carl Guyberson says the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. So anytime you're reading the Bible, one of the important tasks to do, and it's actually kind of a fun one once you get the picture, is to think about it. Which part of the story is this book, this chapter, this verse telling? And the temptation, of course, is to chop up the Bible into little tiny digestible pieces that fit very nicely at the top of a notepad or something. And the problem with that is that it pushes you in the opposite direction. Instead of pushing you in deeper to understand the Bible as a big story, which is kind of a lot of work, and man, let's be honest, most of the time we don't want to, it, it gives you a little nugget that makes you feel like you've accomplished something and perhaps you have, but you could accomplish more. <clears throat> so I don't often say this, but, but if you weren't here last week to hear the opening message from this series, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast. It's not because it was a great sermon. It really wasn't. Certainly not going to win any awards. But it was foundational not only to this book that we're reading together, but also to the whole point of, of the thematic thread for 2014-15 being shaped by the words. Having asked you now to listen to the podcast from last week, I must tell you that it's not actually posted yet. <laughs> We had a little Dropbox glitch, and the audio didn't make it to the person who's the editor of the podcast yet, but it's there now. He's going to do it tomorrow, so you have time to go get your podcast app. Refresh it a few times this week. You'll get last week's message, all right? Um, so, <laughs> isn't that just the way? All week I was thinking, man, I really should just make sure that podcast is going. No, it's, it's never been a problem before. So part one was about the Bible as a story. Today we look at part two of the blue parakeet, which is what we do with the Bible. And what we must do with the Bible is listen to it. The words listen and hear, you might like to know, are found more than 1,500 times in the Bible. McKnight quotes, Klein Snodgrass, and if, uh, if that's not a, a Swedish-sounding covenant name, I don't think I've ever heard one before. 
He says, um, this, this guy's a biblical scholar, and he says, the biggest complaint in Scripture is that people do not listen to God. <laughs> when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, he quoted a very important Jewish teaching, the Shema Yisrael, which is, just comes from the Hebrew for the first words of it, that says, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment, he quoted that, love God. But in Deuteronomy, that, that greatest commandment in all of Scripture is preceded by a command to listen, to hear. And so with that in mind... I want to ask you if you will join me together in praying one more little prayer from the Book of Common Prayer this morning. We're, we're half Anglican after the service today. <laughs> um, I'm going to go over to my vicarage afterwards. <laughs> um, this is a prayer that's to be spoken before studying the Bible, and I think we're going to return to it, if not every week, certainly very frequently throughout the year. So it'll be on the screen here. Let's pray this prayer together. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so listening. What does McKnight mean when he says that what we do with the Bible is listen to it? Well, he defines listening as three things. Attention, absorption, and action. So if we're to read the Bible as a story and thereby develop a relationship with the God of the Bible, we should learn to listen to God, listen for God in the Bible as we read it. We should be first attentive enough to recognize God's voice and let it in. This is why these meditative prayers are so important in our spiritual lives. Because you have to like downshift from fifth to fourth to third to second to first. This is what cars used to do. Um, <laughs> those of you who drive modern cars, um, you have to, it's like a series of, whenever we do those, I'm like, okay, finally I'm relaxed enough now to hear from, look, a bird. And then it's another stage, right? It takes time and effort to become attentive. And if you're going to approach scripture, you, you, it's work just to get to the place where you can attend to what you are trying to listen to. Attention. And the second one is absorption. We have to absorb what God is saying through Scripture. And McKnight uses this lovely little image so that it floods our inner being. And finally, we have to act on what we have heard from God. As he writes, God tells his story so we can enter into a relationship with him, listen to him, 
and live out his word in our day and in our way. It's so important that we don't miss that last step. All this talk about listening might make you inclined to think that studying the Bible is something that you can do sitting on your butt. (laughs) Well, you can start out sitting on your butt if you want to. Or if you're a nerd, you can have a standing desk and do that. But listening demands action, doesn't it? Parents? Anybody a parent? (laughs) Anybody a child? (laughs) Yeah? That's all of you. (laughs) Is it possible to hear the words (laughs) and not put them into play in your life and not respond by doing something? Yes. And what do we as parents say to our children when they do that? You are not listening to me. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, we're going to look at just a few little verses there, 24 through 27. Um, the red Bibles, that you would be looking to page 788, and I don't have one here, but it's printed in my notes, so we'll pretend. And yes, by the way, I do see the irony in the fact that I'm using a very small amount of Scripture <laughs> in a sermon on being shaped by the words of Scripture. It's kind of like we have to lay a foundational understanding Jesus is teaching and he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. And all the Sunday school kids in the room started to hear the song playing in their head, right? The wise man built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. It's interesting to me that the, the foundation of the house, according to Jesus, is it doesn't have anything to do with traditional religious observances with the keeping of the Sabbath or with temple worship or whatever might have been important to his hearers in that culture. For us, it might have to do with coming to church or going to a small group or even, let's be honest, even just reading your Bible. The foundation is not based on your ability or willingness to participate in religious observances. The foundation of your spiritual life comes from whether you hear the words and act on them or not. Well, that's justification by works theology nerds are inclined to say. No, it's not. I'm not talking about what saves you. I'm talking about whether your life has a meaningful and suitable foundation from which 
to live into your new life in Christ. So it's not enough to hear the words of Christ. You have to act on them or you'll be swept away by the storms of life. And I think that that same statement could be made about the entire Bible. Action is a crucial final step in listening. Any method of Bible study that doesn't lead to some change in your life, some transformation, abandons the missional path of God and leaves us stranded. So what I want to do as we approach the end here is read to you a couple of paragraphs from this book. And uh, the reason I want to do that is because I think it is, it is so close to a bullseye and the target of why we decided to make this idea, shaped by the words, our thematic thread for this year. Um, so I'll set it up a little bit. There's a, a passage in 2 Timothy, which is almost always quoted to explain the authority of Scripture, right? If you've spent any time in church, you have heard this passage read. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, etc. Well, the etc. is where the rubber hits the road. If you've read this part of the book already, and most of you, if not all of you have, surely, right? You know where McKnight is going with this. It's the same place I'd like to go now. What comes immediately following that statement about Scripture being God-breathed and useful for this and that reason are two little words, so that. Boy, you have said this a bunch of times. It is so true. The little words in the Bible are are hinge points. They, 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 They are so important. These little tiny words sometimes tell us so much. So that... All God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. McKnight goes on to say, The divine outcome, the divine so that, of missional listening to the God of the Bible is good works. Protestants don't like that phrase, do we? Any reading and any interpretation that does not lead to good works, both as the practical application and as the behavioral result, aborts what the Bible is designed to produce. McKnight says, I know, aborts is a strong word, but we need such a word here. God's so that is good works. What are good works? Peter urged the Christians in Asia Minor to be benevolent in their cities. Paul exhorted the Roman Christians to love their neighbor as themselves. John urged his readers to walk in the light and to love one another. James reminded followers of Jesus to care for widows and orphans, to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked. Good works are concrete responses to the needs we see in our neighbors. And then our friend Scott McKnight concludes with this statement, which I at first found a little alarming, and you may find alarming, but here it is. If you are doing good works, you are reading the Bible aright. If you are not doing good works, you are not reading the Bible aright. Whoa. Does that make anybody, does it take you back just a little bit? 
And then he says, I love how concise he is. He's just so matter of fact with stuff. If you're in the first group, keep it up. If you're in the second group, make some changes. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. When the leadership team and I decided that this shaped by the words concept would be the the thread, the common thread that would run through everything we did in the coming year of ministry. We felt very strongly about this part of it, that going deeper into the Bible is not an end in itself, that we didn't want to press into the words of Scripture so that we could win Bible quizzing competitions. I don't usually make this many references to the weirdness that is Sunday school culture in one sermon. (laughs) Has anybody ever been to a Bible quizzing competition? Wow. Is that a weird place to be or what? Have you ever... (laughs) Well, it's usually children, so it's not fair to criticize them. But I know some adults who won Bible quizzing competitions when they were kids. And... They, they still have all the passages memorized and they still are not doing a thing about it or with it or because of it. Going deeper in the Bible is not an end in itself. We want to go deeper in the Bible so that our hearts will be shaped and changed so that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we would be called out into more and more action, more and more work to accomplish the mission and live in the values that God gave our church a decade ago. That's what it means to listen to the story of the Bible. And that's the first two parts of the blue parakeet. Now, I would be a bad preacher if I didn't give you something to do with this. So here's a stab that I'm going to take at an application point. And this, this may not turn out to work very well for you. If that's the case, please talk to me and tell me. Listen, uh, like I often use the swinging a bat analogy. Like we're going to try to do better at living out our value of justice. We're going to swing the bat. We may miss the ball. We're going to stay in the box and swing it again. Right? The same thing goes for this. If this doesn't work for you, that's just consider it one swing of the bat and you get unlimited strikes, right? That's the grace of Christ. (laughs) Unlimited strikes. And you never have to be the pitcher. (laughs) Here's an idea. I've got three levels here that we can look at. I'll give you a beginner level. If you feel like, I don't know where to begin. I've never read the Bible with any success. I want to give you one thing to do every day and one small thing to do every day. Read one psalm. Read one chapter from one of the Gospels. Read one chapter from one of the books in the Old Testament. You really can start anywhere, but there are better and worse places to start. So if you are confused by that, if you don't have something in mind, I would be happy to offer you some advice about where to begin and perhaps where not to begin. But... Believe me, you can do this. The busiest person in the room can do this. It does not take long to read one psalm every day. I've been testing this theory for two weeks now in preparation for this moment. 
You can read a psalm every morning, and it does not cost you really anything for the rest of your day, time-wise, right? If you, read, if you read too much teaching of Jesus, that might cost you something the rest of your day for what you do and don't do with your life, but that's kind of the point. So we're looking for that. Time-wise, though, anybody can do the beginner level, right? The second level is for those of you who have done this before and you want a little refresher course. You want maybe to breathe some new life into your Bible reading. The refresher course is to read a book of the Bible, not in one sitting necessarily, but this week or in the next couple of weeks, read a book of the Bible that you've never read. If you're not a true Bible nerd who's read every book of the Bible, find one that you haven't read and read it. And see if you can identify where it fits in the story. Creation, fall, covenant community, redemption in Christ, consummation. Where does it fit in the story? Now, there are some of you in the room who are experts. You've already read all the books of the Bible twice this year. (laughs) You have the hardest task. Because you have to figure out how to make any of this new to you in any way. And to be honest, you may need to reform your approach to the scriptures. Because you have not been shaped by their words. You've been reading so that you could win quizzing competitions. You've been reading so that you could win arguments. You've been reading so that you could check a box. You've been reading so that you can prove yourself holy. Or at least, if not truly holy, better than them. Don't raise your hand, but you know who you are. Some pastors are guilty of this. So what I want you to do is, you have by now some favorite books or passages of the Bible. And I want you to revisit those. I want you to start with the cream of the crop as you have come to know it so far. And maybe you've never taken the time to identify where that verse or passage fits in the big story. If so, that is step one. You have to put it in the context of God's story. And maybe, secondly, and probably more importantly, you have loved this passage or book for a while, but you've never answered whatever call to action it may have for you. What have you missed during past readings? It's an important question. So we're going to try this. If this pattern, if this three-part response doesn't work out for us, we'll try something different. But for now, this is where we're going to start. And um, next week, I'll revisit these, and I hope to have something to hand out to you that has it printed that you can write your name on and check off which one you're going to do and send it back maybe for some, little, some accountability or at least share with a friend. But for now, it's just on the screen. Please decide which one you're going to do and then do it. <laughs> Let's pray together. God, again this week, we thank you for your fullest revelation of yourself in your son, Jesus Christ. But as we aim to be shaped by the words of Scripture, the Bible that points us infallibly to Jesus, we pray for your help. 
for your Spirit's um, intercession in our lives. We pray that you would remind us that we have committed to read the words of the Bible. We pray that you would teach us as we do. We pray that you would exhort us to act, not to listen passively, but to act. We pray for the courage to do so. And since we are a community of faith that travels this road together, we pray that your spirit would be at work among us as a community. That the action that you call one of us to would be complementary to the action that you call another to. That we would together be shaped by the words of Scripture to fulfill the mission and live into the values that you've given to us. We pray all these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our communion table is open. We respond to the Word of God and to the words of Scripture each week at this table. And I invite any of you who are seeking to follow Jesus in this place to come to the table. We receive it by tearing a piece of the bread and dipping it in the wine or the juice. We have both. Use whichever would be more appropriate for you and your family. You can involve your children in this moment if you wish, or you can collect them afterwards if you prefer. Let no one feel that he or she is unworthy to come to this table because we all are. Your worthiness is granted to you in the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Christ, which is what we are observing and celebrating in this moment. May it be for us his body, his blood. May it be food for our souls and may it be an act of unity with each other and with Christians around the world. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.